Welcome to the Nerd Ascended Podcast. I'm Natalie. And I'm Chelsea. And this is what we're nerding out about this week. Hey everybody, welcome to season two of the Nerd Ascended Podcast and our first official podcast episode of 2019 yay yay 2019 (laughs) thanks so much again for joining us for season one uh we had a lot of fun figuring out this whole podcast business this past fall and we're hoping to be a little more regular with our episodes and officially get things up every two weeks and hopefully explore a lot of new fun um a lot of new fun topics this year and there's a lot of movies and games and exciting stuff coming out so we are looking forward to that. Thanks for joining us on this fun, nerdy ride. So uh, to kick things off for 2019, we wanted to do a topic that we haven't gotten to talk about much yet on the podcast, but it's something very near and dear to us, and that is Disneyland. Disneyland. Yay! The most, I was going to say the most magical place on earth, and then I would have had to have kicked myself in the shin for saying that because Disneyland is <laughs> Disneyland because that is, is Disney World. <laughs> yes, Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. Uh Magic Kingdom in Florida is the most magical place on earth. So, there is difference. I just I just finished a book called Dry by Neil Shusterman. That was actually very terrifying and it was about California running out of water for oh. a week. And at the end of it, uh spoiler alert, they turned the water back on. But at the end, there's this <laughs> tiny little chapter that's about how it's been two weeks and they go to open Disneyland again and it's super important to everybody because if Disneyland is open, then that means... Life is okay. The world is running again. <laughs> that That's probably honestly very true. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard of that book. I'll have to add that to my to-read list too. It's really good, but it gave me a lot of anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since we're considering moving to California someday. Yeah. So I'm like, oh God, but water... But but water. As long as Disneyland is on and operational, yeah, or open and operational, I should say, not on and operational. <laughs> Have you turned the Disneyland on? Did you try unplugging it and turning it <laughs> yes. back on? Oh. Okay. Anyway, Disneyland <laughs> is still on. It it's is. been on for since nineteen. Oh gosh, nineteen fifty nine. Five. Nineteen fifty five. Yep. Womp. <laughs> you were Womp. close though. <laughs> So, yes, it is a uh, it's very on and operational. They actually just <laughs> raised their prices this year again. So, as they do every January. Yeah. Because they keep getting more and more visitors and there's not as much of an off season anymore. Oh no, off season is a myth, which is something we can actually talk about in some of the tips we have for this podcast today. Tip number 1, off season is a myth. <laughs> that doesn't actually exist. But I think when I worked at Disneyland for my Disney college program in the fall of 2010. I believe a one-day park hopper, so where you could go to Disneyland and California Adventure on the same day, was um, $101 because it was easy to remember because 101 is also another code that you frequently use as a cast member, so that was easy to use. And I think (laughs) it is now, I would have to double check, but it's like 154 for a one-day wow, park hopper. Wow, for one day? Yeah. They they Dang. just raised that and raised all the annual pass holder prices. And it's because Star Wars Land is opening this year. So Galaxy's Ooh. Edge, that's the appropriate name. But it's opening in June. So, yes. It is a, a pricey, pricey little 
land of magic that I very much love (laughs) and is very much very close to my heart. You and I, I think, first went to Disneyland in 1994, 1994, 1995. I was like... I was three. You were three. So it must have been 1994, I think. Yeah. And I was like five five I think at the time yeah (laughs) five almost six and we went I I honestly don't even know what time of year it was when we went I think we had shorts on in those pictures so it must have been summertime but that was the start of a a lifelong dedication (laughs) to all things Disney I think what is the restaurant that's the big pink one the plaza in your main street yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. the plaza in we were waiting in line to get food, and Natalie <laughs> stuck a nerd up her nose to make me laugh and had to go to the Disney hospital, and that's how our love of Disney started. <laughs> oh, and we not only did we go to the little Disney uh, medical area in the back, we got taken via a van to the L.A. Trauma Center. So, <laughs> Yeah, and it dissolved in her nose, and she got ice cream. Yes. And I didn't get Jack, so. Yeah, and we were we had been in line for dinner at that point. And so when we had to leave, because I had candy at my nose that didn't come back out. <laughs> and then we go to the LA Trauma Center and that nice doctor was like, well, it all dissolved now, so you're okay. And gave me a little thing of ice cream and I came out there eating ice cream and everybody else was like not thrilled with me. So <laughs> that was a, a great first memory of Disneyland. <laughs> but it, it didn't uh, deter us from wanting to go back again and again after that. So... I just learned that you don't pick things up off the ground and stick them in your nose, <laughs> which is an important life lesson for everyone. So. Everyone needs to learn that. Yeah. Better at five than 25. Yeah. And I don't know what year it was when we went back after that, but I know at one point we kind of went like every year or every other year for a little bit while we were in middle school and high school. By the time I had graduated high school and gotten into college, I'd heard about the Disney College Program which is basically an internship, but also kind of a a work experience program, I guess you could say, where you go for a semester and work at Disneyland or Disney World in a front-of-the-line role, but then you can take um, classes while you're down there. I got college credit for doing mine for my internship credit, so that was great. And I did one of those in fall 2010, and then I did another one fall 2011 after I graduated college and didn't know what the heck I wanted to do with my life. And also, because you were down in Florida already, I figured I might as well go down to Florida too. Yeah. (laughs) That's where I went. And both of my programs, I worked in attractions. And then one of yours, you your second one, you worked in attractions, but your first one, you were... It was main entrance operations. I never worked at Disneyland. I did both of my college programs at Disney World in Florida. Uh, My first one is 2011, and I worked main entrance at Epcot, which was way back in the turnstile days where you had a paper ticket and you stuck it in the turnstile and it unlocked the little arm. <laughs> which is in <laughs> fact what you still do at Disneyland. So if Oh, you still do it at Disneyland. Yes. You don't at Disney World anymore. Um, they tested those touch point things while I worked at Epcot. So that feels weird because those are like you know, the standard, they took out all the turnstiles in Florida and put those there instead. Um, but I got to see the testing of those first ones. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty much exactly the same as they are now. Which means they definitely listened to your guys' feedback at the time. 
Oh, they did not but listen yeah. to our feedback at all. <laughs> they wanted our feedback as people that worked in the front. And we're like, this technology is great, but here's all like the safety concerns about it. And they're like, okay, great. And then put it out exactly like it was. Yeah. <laughs> I also worked at the Auto Plaza in front of Epcot. I wore some great yellow pants and parking was $14 then. I don't know what it is now. It's at least I, 17. I think it's honestly 22. I oh, think God. I read that number somewhere. It's above that hurts 20. my soul. Yeah, it's which this is a totally different podcast, but if you go to Disney World, there's honestly no reason to have to pay for parking. So no. <laughs> that's another topic. But oh, well, I'm glad I don't work there now and have to ask people for $22. Oh, I know. For parking. <laughs> Cuz 14 is bad enough. And then I went back uh, in 2014, and I actually extended, so I was there for almost a year, and I worked at Kilimanjaro Safaris in Disney World, um, which is an attraction at Animal Kingdom, which I won't talk about a lot now because we're doing a Disneyland podcast, and we'll do another version of this podcast later for Disney World, but that was a great job. It was a good year. That was always my dream job, and you got it. (laughs) It was mine too. <laughs> when I worked at Disney World, my second program, I was also at Epcot at a location called Innoventions, which is now no longer there. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Innoventions. With my turnstiles. <laughs> yeah. And I was a host, um, or no, I wasn't a host. That's what we called the other ones. I was a presenter. See, I can't even remember. It's what happens in old age. But <laughs> so I was a presenter and I did some of the little educational shows in interventions. But my first program in 2010 at Disneyland, I was an attractions hostess at Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters. So I got to wear a great little Space Ranger costume. And there's some things in this podcast that we'll talk about with Buzz in particular. But definitely some very fond memories. Honestly, probably one of the best six-month periods of my entire life, really. So from going as kids to working there we definitely have strong connections to Disney parks and Disneyland for us was the one that we went to growing up because we lived a heck of a lot closer to California than Florida and so Disneyland lived in Wyoming yeah so Disneyland is kind of home to us in that aspect so for this episode we thought it'd be fun to go through some of our tips and tricks we've learned for just visiting Disneyland and keeping your sanity intact basically (laughs) And going over some of the the hidden places and things that we think are really cool. One of the great things about Disneyland as a theme park compared to other places is just the attention to detail and the cool little secrets and storytelling that happen throughout the park. So we're going to be talking about some of that. So to kick things off, we wanted to go over some of our favorite little hidden details and storytelling elements in the park. Some of the most famous versions of these are the Hidden Mickeys, which some people have heard about. And then there's a couple theming things that some people know about, especially if you're a huge Disney freak, some people don't know about. But I think it's the kind of thing that makes it really cool when you're there to notice and just see like the love and care that went into creating even just honestly, the way the trash cans look in Disneyland. Um, That actually isn't one of the things on our list, but if you walk around the park, you'll notice the trash cans are different for each land that you're in. They do match. They match the theming of the area. And if you're in some of the areas that are in between two themed sections, so say... Purgatory. Purgatory, basically. So in between, (laughs) say, Fantasyland and um, Tomorrowland, 
where it's kind of like a transitional area, the tran- the trash cans over there will just be like a brown or muted color. They will just blend in with the transition, which is really cool to me. So, <laughs> I mean, who would have thought about trash cans? When we went to Tokyo Disneyland in 2016, they actually took it a step further. And when they switched over, because we were there in October, so when they switched over for um, the Halloween stuff at night, all of the trash cans came off and special Halloween party trash cans came out. Which is just... That's extreme. Yeah. That's like a whole other level of attention to detail. But one thing that I wanted to start with in this particular topic is one of my favorite areas of the park is called New Orleans Square. And New Orleans Square is most famous for being home to the Haunted Mansion, which is um, one of the most beloved attractions at, I guess, any Disney park because there are different versions of it at each Disney park. Um, which is kind of cool because even though it's the same ride per se, um, each park around the world that you go on it, it'll be a different experience. So that's kind of a cool detail. But New Orleans Square is just past Adventureland in the park and before you get into the back area where Splash Mountain is called Critter Country. And the whole area to me is like the best themed area in the entire park. It's just so well done. It's so fun. It's like kind of a calm relaxing area to be in and also kind of like a creepy area because they just really subtly tie everything into the Haunted Mansion. Um, But the other big attraction in this area is Pirates of the Caribbean, also a very famous beloved attraction, obviously has a series of movies about it now. But before Jack Sparrow and before that whole storyline kind of took over Pirates of the Caribbean, the intent was actually to make a story that encompassed the whole area of the park about a pirate named, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but because it's a French name, my thinking is that you'd say it Jean Lafitte. Sounds good to me. <laughs> it's not Lafayette, I know that. It's just, I think, Lafitte. And he was supposed to be a central character in Pirates of the Caribbean, and the Haunted Mansion was originally intended to be his house. Um, I think there's some overlap between him and uh, what eventually became the Master Gracie kind of vague Mm -hmm. character with Haunted Mansion I think he was supposed to be that but there's a few details still that even though this didn't pan out and the Haunted Mansion actually has a really cool backstory as to what it ended up being there's some really interesting details in New Orleans Square that tie this together that show the the path they were originally going one of these that you can find pretty easily is as you're walking along New Orleans Square and you've got um, the Rivers of America and Tom Sawyer's Island over to your right, Haunted Mansion to your left, there's kind of a section down in front, um, just this little walkway along the water, which is where most people sit for like phantasmic at night. But there are little, I guess, archways uh, toward the ground in the rock work there. And one of them has um, 1764 inscribed at the top. This was originally going to be part of the theming to tie those two rides together. I know there's a lot of, with the Haunted Mansion and with a lot of Disneyland stuff in general, there's a lot of rumors that have become urban legend and there's a lot of details that have gotten lost, but something I've heard is that there were supposed to be tunnels you could walk through between Pirates of the Caribbean to Haunted Mansion. That that entrance over there, well, it's not an entrance, but it was meant to be an entrance, and that it would be kind of creepy tunnels and there would be like his treasure and they would look kind of like the catacombs in Paris that you were supposed to be able to walk through. So the original 
area where the entrance is, was going to be is still there with the 1764 inscribed on it. But unfortunately, we never got that creepy, creepy sounding attraction. So that's one of my favorite little details in my favorite area of the whole park. Yeah, it's one of my favorite areas too. There's just so much It just theming. feels so chill. Yeah. yeah. And it, I mean, it can feel very not chill when it's busy over there, but even <laughs> when it's busy, there's still areas you can get away to. So another thing that is in kind of the same area over in Adventureland that both of us really think is a kind of an interesting story and interesting detail, even if it doesn't really work anymore, unfortunately, is the door room at the beginning of Indiana Jones Adventure. Indiana Jones is one of my favorite rides, uh, even today when we have a lot more rides. And this one was built, I think, the late 90s. So mm-hmm. it's pretty old. It needs some love, mm-hmm. but I still love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the ride itself uses a lot of moving rooms or moving wall tricks to play with your eye. So like at the end of the ride, as in... One of the most famous Indiana Jones scene, the big boulders coming towards you. You can't, like, there's nowhere else for you to go. And you end up going underneath it. But it looks like this giant rock thing is actually coming towards you when, in truth, it's just sitting there, spinning in place, and the walls are moving. And if you turn your head to the side and slightly back, you can see the wall move. But even when you know how it works, if you keep looking forward, it still looks like this rock is coming closer to you. But the one I really liked that I don't know if it runs now. The last time I went was two years ago, and this effect was still not working. Uh, but when you first get in, you get in your little Jeep, and you're going to go in, is it Mara? Yeah. And you're not supposed to look into his eye, and then you do. Oh, wait, no, you do that after this. But you're gonna you're going in there, you're going into the temple, and then there's supposed to be three different doors you can go through. And one is uh, Earthly Riches, and there is the Fountain of Youth and Visions of the Future. And when you turn that corner, one of the doors will light up in a color, either purple, gold, or green, I believe. Or like Depending a on which blue, one you pick. Blue-green. Yeah, a blue-green for the Fountain of Youth. And once you do that, it'll like the audio goes to play with it, and then when you go into the temple room... And look into Mara's eye and he gets all mad because they told you not to do that. Um, the stuff that's illuminated in there matches whatever door that you chose. So when you go in there, it looks like there's three different doors you can go through that somehow get to a very similar looking room and then connects to the rest of the track. But actually, you only go through the same door every single time. There's only one actual track and there's five doors. And one is real in the middle, and there's two fake on each side. And then the walls and the symbols above the doors move around to give you the illusion that you're going in a direction that you're not. Mm-hmm. And then whichever one and color that you end up going through, that's what the main door would light up as. So if you're supposed to go through the Fountain of Youth that I think was all the way to the left, the, mo- the room will move so it looks like there's two empty doors to your right. And then the door on the other side will be opposite and earthly riches will have one empty door on each side, which I always thought was a really cool effect, but I don't think I've seen it working 
no. since like 2002. And when it worked, I mean, the actual like that whole wall with the actual physical doors on them would shift so that the door was in front of like the one track and it, but it looked to you like you were going to the left, even though you yeah. weren't, you were, you were always going straight. And I, I can't say that I've seen the doors working correctly in, in years. Um, when we were there this past April, we did get the visions of the future and earthly riches. So we did get two different things, but we were always just going through the middle door. And it just changed. Uh, well, I think even it lit up as gold before we went in it. And then we went in there and it was visions of the future anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean, that poor ride just definitely needs some love. I've heard that for them to really fix what they would need to fix, the, the computer program that runs it would need to be built from scratch again because wow. they're basically running it on like Windows XP in there (laughs) so it would probably why it breaks down yeah (laughs) and so it would have to be redone but I mean there are so many separate effects and things that have to work just right because when it's running at full capacity that ride you do get a different ride every time you go on it because originally your jeep could stop at different places and stall um yeah I remember that there used to be we never got to see this because this is another one of those things that's kind of faded into Disneyland lore, but there used to be an effect when you came around the first corner of rock falling and there was actual dry ice that would fall. And that effect only worked, I think, like the first month it was open. And so the dry ice doesn't fall. But as you turn that corner on the soundtrack, you can still hear the sound of like rock falling. So that's kind of a leftover thing. And it it did seem to be running better when we were there in April because I know before that we had been and everything was just like half a second off which for that ride really makes a difference yeah because you could pull up and the ball will be roll the boulder will be rolling backwards as you pull up which is (laughs) kind of a bummer but it's still even with that it's still such such an amazing ride and it's not something that you find at like other theme parks I mean it's I hope at some point maybe when they get Galaxy's Edge open they'll have you know, the additional capacity to close that ride for the year or two it honestly needs to get it fixed up and everything. So fingers crossed for that because it's just, it's a lot of fun. And I remember the first time we rode it and just being like, oh my gosh, wow. Like I didn't even realize that you could do things like this. So yeah. And considering it was built in the nineties or right a little before 2000, it's impressive how much effects they were able to make that they still use for rides now i know they use a lot of like cgi and screens now but like the moving walls effects and other stuff like that (laughs) Uh, it's really impressive for the time that it was built in it is so here's hoping that they'll give it a chance to get spruced up um so a couple other cool little details that I really like it Disneyland. Um, since I worked at the Buzz Lightyear ride, my home world was basically Tomorrowland. So I definitely have a lot of love for the vision of the future, even though Tomorrowland and Disneyland is another thing that could really use some love at this point. When we went in April, my little Buzz ride was really, really struggling. So yeah. I'm hoping they will give some TLC to that soon. But 
one of the really cool things about Tomorrowland is this concept of agri-future. So when you ride the Disneyland Express Railroad around the whole park, there is one point when you go by Tomorrowland that you'll see a billboard that says agri-future on it too. So that kind of ties into this. But the main thought behind this was that for Disney's vision of the future, people would need to focus on how to care for the planet and how to utilize the resources we have and use the space that we have to our advantage. So all of the plants, or I shouldn't say all, I think it's pretty close to all, but I don't think it's quite 100%. But the majority of the plants in Disneyland that are used as landscaping and atmosphere are edible plants. Now, that doesn't mean that you as a guest can walk right up there and pick whatever you want and eat it. Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. It's still landscaping, but they are all edible plants. Um, Some of them are pretty obvious. I think when you walk up to the front of Tomorrowland, there's like, at least at one point, there was lettuce that was planted there. By Buzz Lightyear, there's a banana tree. So there's all kinds of really interesting plants there. It's not quite the level of like what they do with living at the land at Epcot in Disney World, but... Which we'll talk about in our Disney World episode because I love living with the land. I do too. (laughs) So... This is, I think, what they did in Tomorrowland is probably actually what eventually inspired what they did with Living in the Land, too. So it's just kind of a neat concept that there are a a team of people that focus on the landscaping and plant life that go into Disneyland. And with Tomorrowland, they have their own special thought process about how to plant edible food but make it look pretty. Because, you know, I mean, some edible food doesn't necessarily look pretty. I mean, nobody's looked at a head of lettuce and said wow, what a gorgeous head of lettuce, you know, something like that. So just thinking about how to plant them, how to maintain them so that they they are serving two different purposes is is pretty cool. Another small detail that's kind of similar to the Haunted Mansion and Pirates one that we talked about that's like a, a remnant of Disneyland's past are the Native American statues or the cigar Indians, as I've heard other people refer to them too. There are two of these. Back when Disneyland opened in 1955 on Main Street, there were all kinds of cool little shops that are no longer there and sound kind of weird to talk about being in Disneyland when you mention this now, but there there was a um, lingerie slash bra shop that used to be on Main Street and there and was... And now we're all missing out. Yeah. That we don't have it anymore. I mean, can you even imagine... <laughs> There used to also be an orange juice shop that was basically, that was part of a sponsorship, but if I remember correctly, literally all they had was fresh squeezed orange juice. And when I worked there during our kind of onboarding orientation process, one of the stories we heard was how when they were finishing up Main Street, they had a lot of this stuff already done, but they were trying to push through to get ready for that July opening. And Walt was already living in the apartment that he had built on main street which we'll talk about later too and he was notorious for his insomnia and he (laughs) would often get up at like three o'clock in the morning just not able to sleep and would walk down main street and talk to the construction workers that were out there working and have them come have a glass of orange juice with him at that little shop so i always thought that was a cute little story too but there was also a tobacco shop which is a fascinating concept considering how pretty anti-smoking disney is now which it's fine by me. There's only, I looked, Yeah. <laughs> I looked this morning and there's only three locations you can smoke in Disneyland now and they're shrinking all the time. So <laughs> it used to be, I'm pretty sure that you could smoke 
walking down Main Street, but not in line for attractions or at restaurants or anything like that. So they had this tobacco shop and in the era that Main Street is trying to emulate, many shops would have, instead of like a sign with words on it that said, hi, this is a hat shop, they would have just a hat, like an actual giant hat or a giant shoe for a shoe shop or or like the barber poles with the red and white stripes. They had those instead of a sign that said barber shop. So tobacco shops often had these cigar Indian statues. Now, I'm not entirely sure why, <laughs> why it's Native American in a headdress or anything like that, but that's what they often had out on the sidewalk with, was these statues. So Disneyland's uh, tobacco shop had one of those, and he is still there in front of the shop that used to be the tobacco shop, which is now the music store. I believe, which mostly just means what it's decorated as on the outside. It's right next to the the little theater that will show you Steamboat Willie cartoons if you go in there. And there is a second one. He has a a twin brother that sits in front of Westward Ho retail shop in Frontierland. So I wasn't able to find why they actually made a second one, but it's just kind of a cool little detail that has been there since opening day in 1955 and and then the last kind of a interesting detail even though it wasn't necessarily a planned detail that we had on our list were the Disneyland cats the Disneyland cats I've seen many of them so these cats the story goes that they were originally put there to help with pest control but whether that's true or not that's not what they do now (laughs) they they aren't there intentionally to catch mice as ironic as that would be but So they are feral cats. You're not encouraged to touch them or pet them or feed them or anything like that. But the Disneyland cast does feed them at a couple different locations. I know one is by the Hungry Bear restaurant over by uh, Splash Mountain and Critter Country. I know one is by the Disneyland Hotel. And I think there's one in California Adventure too where they keep food. But the cats obviously have learned that people will give them popcorn and ice cream and whatever else. So I mean they... They'll come up to you if you see them sometimes. I think it's really cute to just like look around in some of the landscaping and just see them napping in there. Yeah. There is just a cat hanging out. There is, I hope he's still there. We actually saw him in April. So he, he was still around. There's a big, beautiful, he looks like a Maine Coon, but he's like calico colored. Oh, I have also seen that one. Yeah. He, he jumped in a tree at the Hungry Bear restaurant. Yes. And he's just, he's a very pretty cat. And he definitely likes coming right up to people who are eating and (laughs) and seeing if you'll give him food. There's a small gray and white one that wanders around by the Disneyland Hotel. And when I worked there, at the time, we had a cast member parking lot off of Catella Avenue, which may or may not still be there. I know they, they changed some of that to guest parking. But when I would get off every night and walk to my car, there would be this big fluffy orange cat that was always sitting by my car and would meow at me. So I'm sure some of the cast members that worked in the parking lot areas fed him and everything. But they're very friendly. Some of them are really pretty. And it's just kind of a, a fun little <laughs> detail that there's just these cats wandering around. They do, as far as I know, trap them and make sure they're spayed and neutered and then just return them to where they were. Um, every once in a while, of course, a litter of kittens does happen and I know some cast members have adopted some of those kittens before when that's happened so just kind of a random random story there but they're not like feral cats like if you see one they're very well 
groomed and taken care of. Yeah. They're, they're feral in the sense of like, you're not encouraged yeah, to go pet them. The yeah, they, but... they do live outside. Yeah. But they get like, even beyond spayed and neutered, they get all their shots and checkups and all that too. Yeah. They're definitely loved little kittens. So we should talk about our favorite hidden Mickeys. Yes, because I think a lot of people have heard about hidden Mickeys before. And there's, you know, hundreds upon hundreds. And there's some that some people say are a hidden Mickey and some people say are a coincidence. But essentially, these are little details either in rides or in just the the general areas of the park that look like Mickey. Um, Some of them are more abstract than others. Some of them are... The very clear three circles, big circle, two little circles for ears. But there's whole books you can buy to track these. And it can be kind of a fun way to spend time in line if you need something to do while you're waiting in a really long line. So what would you say is one of your favorite ones out of either? I realize we're also talking about mostly Disneyland, but California Adventure is obviously a great park and and all of that. But Disneyland is just older, so it's got some more of these details in particular but what would you say is one of your favorite ones my favorite hidden mickey is one that's outside of california adventure and i think it's hilarious because whoever made it was like i'm gonna make the hardest most pointless little hidden mickey to find and it's outside the entrance somewhere like before you go through the turnstiles to go in and it's just three little rocks in the concrete in a Mickey shape, and it's incredibly hard to find. But whoever did but it, I love it. Probably shows it to someone every single time they go in that park. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's no bigger than the palm of your hand. Yeah, and I just like that it's so tiny. Yeah, <laughs> and obviously supposed to be ridiculously hard to find. I think one of my favorite ones is in the haunted mansion, and. When you go past the ballroom scene to where you're above it and you look down, if you look at the table on the far left-hand seat closest to the glass, the plates there will be in the shape of a Mickey head. And this is true even when they have the switchover for Halloween and Christmas and they do the Nightmare Before Christmas overlay. The plates will be different, but they'll still be in the Mickey shape. And that I like that one just because it's so simple And it's not something, you know, somebody had to carve into something to create. It's literally just some plates (laughs) on a table. (laughs) So I always think that one's kind of fun. But there are definitely a ton to find and explore. There used to be, I don't know if what they've changed it to in the new Guardians of the Galaxy version, but I know in Tower of Terror, which is probably still true in Florida, there used to be one in the, the stars as you, like the elevator door mm-hmm. disappeared in that one scene there was a mickey and the stars there and they're all over the place so there's a a lot you can find i think that's probably really fun for like keeping little kids interested in something while you're in line <laughs> yeah if you don't want them to you just... can get whole books of where hidden mickeys are there's hundreds of them hundreds upon hundreds and some things that everything will probably start to look like a mickey head to you doing that but <laughs> maybe you can you can make up some of your own too the other thing that Disneyland and California Adventure has hundreds and hundreds of is carbs. Yes. Look at that transition. (laughs) (laughs) Delicious, delicious carbs. So I'm sure a lot of people when they think about food at Disneyland probably think about the expense and (laughs) the high cost that comes with this. It's very expensive. And it's it's definitely not, you know, cheap, but you are a captive audience. So 
that's <laughs> that's just kind of how these things go, I guess. But we definitely have our own favorites and our own favorite restaurants throughout both parks. I mean, both of us really love Blue Bayou for like a, a more sit down type restaurant and not like a quick counter service food. There's also Carthay Circle Theater, very similar in California Adventure. Not quite as cool as Blue Bayou because you don't get to sit inside the Pirates of the Caribbean ride while you eat, <laughs> but still really great food and really like elevated food for being in a theme park. I think a lot of people associate theme parks with funnel cakes and hamburgers and stuff like that. And you can definitely get that at Disneyland, but oh, yeah. there are so many other delicious things to eat and the restaurants will usually match the theming of the area they're in, which can be kind of fun. This isn't on this list, but... I always think the theming at Rancho del Zocalo is really fun. <laughs> the restaurant that's um, right outside Big Thunder Mountain. And they have pretty good food in there. And a lot of the time it's pretty quiet in there. Yeah, it's actually a huge restaurant. There's a ton of seating in there. I think sometimes even half of it's closed off because it's so big. But if you're looking for a quiet place to eat, that's probably a pretty good one. But for us, obviously, the king of food anywhere is mac and cheese. But even more so at Disneyland and I learned a couple years ago, I could have been led astray, but I really believe this, that the mac and cheese at Disneyland is actually just Stouffer's brand mac and cheese, which is okay with me because it's delicious. Yes. That, it's <laughs> that's great. all I need. One thing I I honestly can say I haven't done, but I know people who have, and if if you are just really in need of some carbs and some hot food, any restaurant location that has a bread bowl so there's one in New Orleans Square there's a counter that has them um, outside the sourdough bread factory in California Adventure is a little restaurant where you can get bread bowls and usually the menu will have you know soup or that kind of thing that you can get in the bread bowl and it won't be on the menu but I have heard every single one of them if you ask will put the mac and cheese in the bread bowl <laughs> so if you just really yeah. <laughs> want carb and calorie overload you can get the delicious mac and cheese in a bread bowl we actually have a a different preferred way of eating our delicious Disney mac and cheese. Yes, which also involves bread, but it is a <laughs> bread cone. And these you can get in Cars Land. I don't think you can find it anywhere else. And there's two, when you're walking down the street there, to your left, there will be a bunch of little cones. Well, not little, they're big cones. Each of them is a tiny little quick service that have specific things. And at first glance, you're just like, oh... There's one for popcorn and there's one for... The pop cone. I think that's so cute. Yeah, the pop cone. (laughs) You know, like quick little snack things. So you might walk past it, but there's one... I don't remember what the cone is actually called. I think it's cone queso. Oh, cone queso. You can get mac and cheese. I think it comes with bacon in a cone of bread. So you just... You hold the cone like you would a cone for ice cream and you just eat mac and cheese out of it. You can also get... There's a chili... Um, when I went a couple years ago with my friend, I think we had those cones three or four times. <laughs> and I always got mac and cheese, but she got the chili sometimes and it was really good. And then there's another one that's, uh, I know it has Verde mm-hmm. in the name. It's not just, Verde is green, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's not just green, but it's something spicier than the chili, which I've also been told is very good. Yeah. And I haven't had that one either, but the nice thing with that particular cone in Radiator Springs is that it also has my favorite drink out of all of California Adventure, which is the high octane lemonades or limeades. 
Um, I like the pomegranate limeade specifically, but they do have like a lemonade sometimes that you can get too. And you can get these just the regular limeade and they've got like this sour whip that goes on the top, which is good. But you can ask for them high octane and that means it's got vodka in it. So what more do you need? You can, you can get alcohol several places in California Adventure if that's something you're looking for. Until June of this year, you couldn't get alcohol in Disneyland outside of if you had a a dining reservation at Club 33. But um, as of June, when Galaxy's Edge opens, there will be a cantina that serves alcohol there. So that will change too. But yes, it's very controversial. Yes, already. (laughs) Already. But the high-octane lemonades and limeades are just, I think they're really refreshing, and they're not like a ton of alcohol, so if you're just wanting, you know, an evening drink, that kind of thing, from just a fun-themed area, I I really love those. And you can get mac and cheese cones at the same time, so. I think when Cars Land first opened, you, when you got it on the menu, it was called Fillmore's Mm -hmm. Limeade, if it had the vodka in it, and he's the hippie van. Yeah. (laughs) And I thought that was great, but when I was there last, um, it was just like limeade with vodka. So I'm sure someone got upset or something was lame and got upset about it. But it was so great. Mm-hmm. It's so cute. It's so cute. <laughs> so, <laughs> definitely. And the movie makes those. a joke about him uh, drinking something crazy. Yeah, you remember he's like drinking his little oil can, and they I don't remember what goes by. I haven't seen Cars in forever. Something goes by and he like looks down at his little can and, and pushes shoves it away. away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it I just fits so well. So definitely recommend eating as much mac and cheese in some form of bread as you can while you're at Disneyland. This is kind of more of a, a tip rather than a uh, food recommendation. But when it comes to like the nighttime shows like World of Color or Fantasmic, it used to be, you know, you could stroll up 45 minutes before the show started and plant yourself down wherever you wanted to sit and watch it and on some nights sure you can still do that but given that off season is not a thing that actually exists anymore there are these dining packages that you can get where I think some of them are lunch some of them are picnic boxes and some of them are dinner when you go have your meal at whatever time or location that you've chosen then you get little fast pass basically reserved seating Um, for whatever show you would like to go to. So this can seem kind of like an unnecessary expense, but if you wanted to go to a nice sit-down dinner anyway while you were at Disneyland, I mean, just do the dining package because then you're going to get a little ticket, say, for World of Color if you did the dining package at Carthay Circle Theater, and then you can go up to the seating like half an hour before and they'll direct you to where your location is and it's not going to be like a complete headache to get a spot to watch the show. It's just so much easier and it can be a really nice, more laid back evening rather than trying to drag yourself into line to get dinner somewhere and then drag yourself across the park to go find a seat. So I definitely recommend doing that. Did you do those picnic boxes when you were there or did you guys do a lunch or a dinner? We did one of the dining packages with lunch. So our lunch, I believe, was at wine country Tratatoria? i'm not sure i i probably said that wrong yeah but we had lunch there we got soup and an entree and dessert even though we were very full and didn't want dessert and they said you paid for it you must get it so i think i they brought us like a whole little dessert plate that had a bunch of different ones on it which was good so we had that for lunch and then 
we when it came time for world of color that night we got bread cones and just took them to our little seating area 30 20 minutes before so it was really nice because that was our um i think that was our one sit down full service meal that we did because it was just me and my friend shelby who i met working in florida we went to disneyland together uh, so we were trying not to like spend a ton of money because it's already expensive. So that was our only sit down and it was really good and it was totally worth it. And our seating for World of Color was in a really great spot. And it was only for the dining package people. So I think since we were there in January, there wasn't as many people that had done it. So we had a lot of space. Yeah. And you don't have to fight with people to get a good view and... So when you do the dining packages for lunch or dinner, you do have a set menu, which I believe you can look at um, online beforehand. Yeah, we looked at several different ones online beforehand and picked by menu. Mm -hmm. And we've done, um, I've done the one at Carthay Circle for dinner twice. And I will say, don't let the set menu scare you off, especially if you have food allergies, because... uh, my husband, Kevin, obviously has celiac disease, can't have gluten. And both times we've gone, I've just told them that when I made the reservation and they always have the chef come out and he lets him know what on the menu he can have just as is. And they are always very willing to make something that fits his needs if nothing on the menu really fits or doesn't really look good or that kind of thing. So don't worry too much about the set menu, but we've had really great experiences, um, with using those packages, you can also, if you're not really looking to do like a sit down dinner and want to do maybe the cheaper option, you can do the picnic boxes, which you'll pick up at a set location and take them with you for just lunch or whenever you want to eat them and get your tickets at the same time. So definitely recommend doing that. As we were talking about earlier with New Orleans Square being one of my favorite areas of the park, this extends to the food options that are in this area. At Blue Bayou, the sit-down restaurant, one of the really amazing things you can have there is the jambalaya. But if you don't have time to do dinner, don't really have the funds to do Blue Bayou because it can be pricey, you can still get this jambalaya um, at a small window towards where the exit of Pirates of the Caribbean comes out. It's also across from a little restaurant called Cafe Orleans. There's a window there that you can get jambalaya and gumbo and maybe clam chowder at that one in a bread bowl so if you're just wanting a more quick option that's a great place to do it but the absolute must-see spot for food in new orleans square is behind the french quarter restaurant which is a good restaurant by the way if you just want to go in there and have dinner but yeah we eat there a lot yeah but behind it there's also um a bathroom which by the way if you're there on a quiet day is a pretty great bathroom but the area back there is just really nicely themed. It's right um, down in front of the train station. And there is a small window there that um, I think it's just called the Mint Julep Bar. But I call it the beignet it window. I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking at the map right now and it is called the Mint Julep Bar. Yes, which the mint juleps are good. They are non-alcoholic mint juleps, but they are good. But you can get Mickey-shaped beignets. You can get them in packs of three or six. They usually have the traditional ones, and then they'll have some sort of seasonal flavor. One October, they had pumpkin, which was the greatest thing ever. In 
um, October 2016 when we were there, they had butterscotch and I was really disappointed because I wanted pumpkin because I was like, <laughs> why is butterscotch a fall flavor? What's going on here? But when we were there in April for Pixar Fest, they had strawberry themed ones to match with Lotso, Lotso Hug and Bear. Uh, and they were really, really good. But these beignets are always like right hot, ready to go in the little paper bag with far too much powdered sugar. I mean, it's just everything you could want out of not only a beignet, but everything you could want out of like a sweet treat. Out so, of life. Yes. <laughs> and they're really great with a mint julep. Um, they're a great thing to share if you're not celiac like my husband. <laughs> yeah. so. Or better yet, if your husband or wife is celiac. You, <laughs> you don't share. have to share. You just get them all. Um, all yours. I really like getting them and hanging out in some of the benches around there or taking them on the Mark Twain riverboat and just enjoying a little relaxing moment. <laughs> Brought to you by beignets. <laughs> Brought to you by beignets <laughs> while you get powdered sugar all over the Mark Twain boat. Yes. Which I, yes, I have done that. <laughs> <laughs> Another little spot that everyone will know about if you look into Disney even a little bit is Dole Whip which I don't care if you like pineapple or not you'll probably like Dole Whip I know there's people out there that don't like it but Dole Whip is amazing it's pineapple soft serve I think you can also get orange there now oh like Florida I might just be mixing them together because I know you can in Florida because Florida opened a whole bigger spot to handle the crowd but in Disneyland, the Dole Whip cart, it's very small. Where is it? It's past Jungle Cruise. Oh, it's right outside the Tiki Room. Yeah. Yeah, the Tiki Juice Bar. Mm-hmm. And even on a very quiet day, there will be a very long line for the Dole Whip. And it'll, it'll take a while. But on the other side of that little cart is the Tiki Room. Which is an original attraction, mm-hmm. right? Um, the Tiki Room is basically what gave us the really advanced animatronics we have now in other rides. So that was one of yeah. Walt's first forays into um, those animatronics. And it was based off of these little robotic birds he found at a garage sale. And that's what gave him the idea. And if you ever get to take a tour of the dream suite that's above pirates of the caribbean one of those birds from the garage sale is up there but there's a little waiting space outside the tiki room and if you go in there you can order dole whip from that side and there's very rarely anyone else in line there i know a lot of people have figured it out recently so it's not as short but it's still shorter (laughs) yeah it's going to be like a fourth of the line on the other side yeah and you can take the Dole Whip into the Tiki Room, which no matter what time of year you're there, it's nice and controlled and quiet mm-hmm. and dark in there. And you get to sit. And you get to sit, which is always a mm-hmm. good thing for like 20, 25 minutes. Now, if you're there during like a time really popular with locals, like Halloween time and early Christmas time, I guarantee that Dole Whip line on the inside is not going to be short. <laughs> Because yeah. the the locals and the annual pass holders know, but still, even when you have to wait a little bit longer in there, it's still way shorter. And then you just yeah. get to go see a little show with your pineapple Dole Whip. So 
that is definitely the way to do it in my opinion um another cool little detail when it comes to food around the resort is there's obviously a ton of popcorn carts i mean every five feet it feels like there's a a churro popcorn or turkey leg cart but the popcorn carts in particular are cool because if you look at the cart itself it'll have the huge box on the one side where the popcorn's actually popping and being scooped out of and then there will be a little window next to it that will have a small little character turning the wheel to like pop the popcorn and depending on where you are in the park these characters will be different in tomorrowland at the popcorn cart there's a little astronaut that turns it on main street i think there's they might just look like the um i call it the coke corner costume look kind of like the costumes like cast members wear on main street but i can't Mm -hmm. in particular remember and sometimes for holidays some of them will change and they'll have seasonal little figures but they're just a, a cool little detail to see as you're getting your popcorn and popcorn uh, people obviously love popcorn here and you can get cool shaped popcorn buckets here and I think it's becoming more of a thing as they get more unique buckets that you can collect and get refilled and that kind of thing but I would love it to become like it is in Tokyo Disneyland where people are just freaking obsessed with popcorn holy cow (laughs) they have on the map you know on a Disneyland map it'll mark where food is in general and I think the popcorn carts are probably marked with like a little fork and knife on there but in Tokyo Disneyland part of their map are these little popcorn icons and they'll be different colors depending on what flavors are at that particular location because you could get matcha black pepper strawberry caramel cheese like all of them are different flavors of popcorn and people are serious about their popcorn so I <laughs> that sounds great yeah I think it would be fun to replicate that here but um for now you've at least got the cool little details like the popcorn turners to look at right and my favorite last food thing we have is the corn dog cart in Disneyland the little red wagon yeah the little red wagon it's very specific um if you get a corn dog anywhere else it's just gonna be a theme park corn dog but if you get it from the little red wagon which looking at the current map you come down Main Street and take a right before the Plaza Inn, and it's parked down there. Oh, yeah, you can uh, see it on this they map. Don't have... <laughs> Interestingly, they don't have a a food marker over it, but it's drawn into the map. Yeah, you can see the little cart. That's cute. <laughs> yeah, they are the best corn dogs I have ever had and will ever have. They're, you know, you think of a corn dog, it's like little and not very satisfying. These are huge, and you definitely need it for a whole meal if you eat it for a snack like I tried to do and then two hours later eat dinner it did not work they're just incredibly good and there's usually a a bit of a line there but they're worth it I have also heard we don't ever use the Disney dining plan because it just doesn't make sense for us but I've heard before that the corn dog and a bag of chips at that cart counts as just a snack credit on your dining plan oh man so you could use just a snack credit and get a whole meal. But I don't have confirmation of that. I've just heard that. <laughs> so, But they are delicious. Holy cow. They're very good. So if we move on from food and we have hidden places, which um, we don't have really anything on here that's in California Adventure. But that's okay. There's not really as much hidden places in California Adventure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Disneyland has a lot of hidden, quote unquote, 
things. It plays into the theming we were talking about earlier a lot. As I've been talking about this whole podcast, one of my favorite areas is New Orleans Square. And in front of the train station, just next to uh, French Quarter Restaurant and the Mint Julep Bar, is just kind of a little garden seating area with just little winding paths and benches that you can sit on. And it is the best place to just hang out and have the beignets and the mint julep. You can, sometimes people will will be walking through there to get up to the train station, but if you sit in the right place, you can just very faintly hear, um, if it's the right time of year, hear the music from the Haunted Mansion, if it's the Christmas music, or you can hear like the sound effects that are playing from the porch up there, um, and just kind of people watch. It's super relaxing. It's never extremely crowded over there because nobody really has a reason to just be hanging out right there. They're just coming and going. So um, you can also hear from the train station, you can hear the train coming and going. But from the New Orleans train station in particular, you can hear a telegram being typed out. And so to you, it just sounds kind of like just these nice little aesthetic clicks in the background. But what it's actually doing is typing out Walt Disney's opening day speech from the park, which is just kind of a cool little detail, I think. That is very cool. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I know his opening day speech. I don't know it in Morse code or anything like that, but um, it's just kind of a, a neat little detail. In the same area of the park, but a little closer to where like the Frontierland entrance is, if you go down towards the water in kind of that area where Frontierland and Adventureland and Orleans Square are kind of like merging by the Riverbell Terrace, there is a a big old tree stump <laughs> just <laughs> sitting on the water, which is, it's what it is, is a tree stump. And this is actually a petrified tree that they think is between 55 and 70 million years old that Walt had purchased in 1955, which I love this story because it just sounds like he got a wild hair and found this and was like, I need that and bought this like petrified tree stump <laughs> somewhere. And so in 1956, the year after the park had opened, Lillian Disney officially donated it to the park. And so they added it there. And the story was that she said she was donating it because it was too big to fit on their mantle, which <laughs> I always think is funny because I, I just love the idea that Walt went and bought this thing. And she was like, where are we going to put that? Where are we going to yeah. put that? <laughs> so, so they put it in the park. There's a little placard on it that you can read about the history of it it came from the area that is now Colorado they're pretty sure so that's just kind of a random cool little detail to check out and also in um, the same area but more up into Frontierland if you're there at Halloween season in front of one of the shops there is kind of a a set of pretty skinny little trees and one of them during the Halloween season will be filled with lit pumpkins which they call the Ray Bradbury tree because the Halloween tree is referenced. It That might be the name of one of his stories or it might just be referenced to one of his stories. But Ray Bradbury was, um, I believe, friends with Walt, I want to say. And so they put the, the Halloween tree up every year and it's just kind of a cool little decoration to look out for if you're there at that time of year. Uh, he does have a book called The Halloween Tree. That must be what it's from. Um. So that's a, I mean, Halloween in Disneyland is a cool time of year anyway, but um, 
it's really cool to look at like the, the little details like that that they add in. Also kind of in a similar area over by Big Thunder Mountain. And I am not sure if this is still there. I haven't, I can't remember from when we were there in April if it still was or not. But before Big Thunder Mountain, there was an attraction called um, Mine Train Through Nature's Wonderland, which was very similar to the Calico Mine Train that's at Knott's Berry Farm to this day. And that eventually uh, was taken over by Big Thunder Mountain, which is a very popular roller coaster type ride now. But there used to be a one of the actual trains from the ride used to sit on the banks of um, the Rivers of America, and they've since moved that and restored it to be displayed at a railroad museum. But there was also right by the exit of Big Thunder Mountain and towards where Big Thunder Ranch used to be, there was a big hole in a rock wall right there in front of a pond. I do remember that. And it was part of the old ride. It was one of the tunnels the trains used to go through. And if you sat there, it was just a nice calm and quiet area. And if you sat there and watched the water, there was animatronic fish that would come up that were also left over from the ride. Now, because of the space that Galaxy's Edge is taking up, I don't know if that's one of the things that is gone. Um, It was just kind of a cool little location and just a cool little use of something left over. So I hope it's still there, but that is, I would have to ask someone who's been recently. So when we were there most recently, we did see from the boat, from Mark Twain's riverboat, the, just the sheer size of Galaxy's Edge. And that's pretty incredible. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to be hopefully super awesome. Is it California or Florida where they're building a Star Wars hotel? I think that's Florida. Okay. But both of them, both versions of Galaxy's Edge will have the thing where what you do on the rides, like at certain points in the rides, you'll be able to make decisions and it will affect how you are treated at restaurants and shops in the area. Oh, that kind of freaks me out. Yeah. That's a little too bandersnatch. <laughs> I know. And if it's... I pick the frosted flakes instead of the sugar puffs, is my whole day going to be bad? Well, I do know, I heard, again, this was a rumor that I'd heard that they had been testing some of the ride stuff. And with the Millennium Falcon ride, if you have someone in the driver's seat that's just being a jerk or not a good driver, it's you can potentially crash crash the ship. And Whoa. some of the feedback they got was like, well, but if somebody's just being rude and crash, crashes our ship, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want people to say mean things to me when I'm just like trying to eat at the restaurant or whatever. So um, I'm assuming... Someone comes over and flips your table. <laughs> you get arrested by a stormtrooper or something. But this is... It's so amazing and so creepy because this will connect into magic bands, which they don't have at Disneyland yet, but I know they're coming. They're going to be coming. Oh, yeah. Because they want to do stuff like that. And so I'm not quite sure how it's going to work at Disneyland yet. I don't know if it's going to work through the app on your phone or what. But, I mean, either way, it's it's a cool way to collect information about you and use it, but I, I totally understand why that would freak people out. So... That remains to be seen. I'm just not a good driver virtually. I'm a fine driver in real life. Virtually, I'm not a very good driver anyway. So what if I crash it by complete accident? 
Yeah, and then a stormtrooper like harasses everyone you. Everyone hates me. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be it'll be really interesting to see how this is all going to turn out, and also because like, I think that the lands are going to be fun and and incredibly well done. But how are they going to tie that into like being in the frontier land area? Like, I'm I'm hoping that they're considering this like an extension of frontier land almost. And this is like the new frontier, which I think is Star Trek. But I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. I hope that's kind of the what they're going for. The final frontier is Star Trek. <laughs> well, that's the final frontier. Well, this can be the new frontier. So that remains to be seen. I'm I'm interested to see how they're going to talk about it on the, the train and on the boat. How you're going to reference that. But yeah, I mean, I am very excited for Star Wars Land or Galaxy's Edge for both parks because I am a very big Star Wars nerd. Um, I'm just so blown away by this, like, choices you make affects the rest of your day. Yeah. But we'll see. That may be one of the very, like, ambitious things that would be super cool and awesome if they could do and they could try it and it could not work. That happens with a lot of Disney stuff. Yeah. I mean, this is beyond, like, the E.T. ride at Universal where... E.T. says, goodbye, Natalie, at the end of it or whatever, because you type your name. Like, this is, like, the next level of that. <laughs> I always gave E.T. a weird name. I know. Like, not so weird he wouldn't be able to say it. I was Poe a lot. I remember going with you when we were Poe and Joe. Yeah. Goodbye, Poe. Goodbye, Joe. And somebody else with us was Bo, because we had <laughs> yeah. them all together. Anyway, that was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. We'll do a Universal episode sometime. Yeah. <laughs> So back to a couple other little hidden things at Disneyland. The last three we have on here are all kind of like remnants of of Walt, really. If you're lucky enough to be on the Disneyland Railroad at the right time, you might, and you sit in the farthest back car, you might see a special caboose private car hooked to the back of it. Last time we were there, we did, and we were sitting in the right spot to actually be able to see in the windows, which was cool. And this car is called the Lily Bell, which was a special private car for Walt and Lily and Lillian, I should say, and guests and their kids to to ride in. And I, at one point for sure, Club 33 members could arrange to ride in it. It used to be if things just lined up for you, you could ask at guest relations in the morning and get a special ticket to ride in it. But I don't think they really do that anymore. But it is cool when it's still hooked to it and you can see in the windows because it's just a really cool little piece of history and it's it looks very nice in there. It's all red velvet and there's some flowers and all kinds of cool stuff. Another thing that you can check out kind of from Walt's past on Main Street, at least from the street, is the window above the fire station. So when you come into the park, this will be towards the left of... Um, the first little circle hub at the front and you can go in the fire station and check that out but if you look at the window above there will always be a light on in this little window. Now when I did my Disney college program I actually had the opportunity to go into the apartment up there which is an apartment Walt had built for himself and Lillian to stay in during like final construction of the park and then after it had opened because he just really liked to be right there and it's really cool because to get into it you go backstage 
and you are literally at that point right there, it doesn't look like it and you wouldn't think it, right behind that fire station is the Jungle Cruise, one of the main corners of it. So when you go back there backstage, you can clearly hear all of the sound effects from the Jungle Cruise. It's much more humid back there because of the plants. And there's a little, um, all the backs of the buildings back there are painted green. So when you're on the Jungle Cruise, you can't see them. And there's a little staircase that goes up to the apartment up there. And they've obviously preserved it with all of Walt's furniture and that kind of thing. And um, they even have his Tom and Jerry batter, because that was one of his favorite drinks. They have his his drinking huh. set up there. But there's like a whole uh, wardrobe and room to get ready that he built for Lillian in there. And the main part is just a living room slash bedroom, because the bed's also came out of the couches there but they leave the lamp on the table on at all times just to signify that Walt is still in the park basically so if for some reason you ever get a chance to go take that tour of the apartment definitely do it I think some of the more expensive um, guided tours might do that so that's definitely something to look into and then the last kind of like remnant of Walt although this is still very much open is the door to Club 33. And Walt wanted Club 33 to be a place where he could entertain guests and his family. And this is above, partially above the Pirates of the Caribbean and into some of those other buildings in New Orleans Square. And the door used to be right next to the door to Blue Bayou. Now, I think that door is still there and it might still be labeled Club 33, but they moved the door. So they, they renovated it. Um, that door by Blue Bayou, you'd walk in and there'd be like a lobby and an elevator. And then there used to be this amazing little courtyard area that was in New Orleans Square that you could just hang out in. There was just this cool staircase, just great atmosphere, nice, quiet little place. They, um, gated that off and that's the entrance to Club 33 now. Oh, boo. (laughs) So that's a a hidden place that is now forever hidden unless you are lucky or have the money. And rich. To get on, yes. (laughs) Or know someone who's lucky and rich. Maybe someday. That's still on my to-do list. (laughs) Maybe someday. You're forever lucky or rich, but we should probably bank on lucky. Oh, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. So let's talk about some of our tips and tricks for visiting Disneyland and actually having a good time and not dying from the crowds. Yes. Uh, Our tips and tricks, most of them are pretty broad that you could also apply to Disney World that have to do with opening and eating mostly. So you don't have to go on a Disney vacation and have every moment planned out, but it is good to have a plan of attack Like a general plan of attack, at least for every day. And, you know, the big things you want to do that day, what you have to do, what you'd like to do, what you want to do. But if it doesn't happen, it's okay. And one of ours that works for us consistently is getting there an hour before opening, which sounds like overkill. But usually you can get in line outside the entrance and they will let you most of the time they will let you in to either main street or the main part of California adventure before that hour. Like you can't go in there and everything is open, 
but you can get inside and you can get into Starbucks, <laughs> which we found out. Very important. Right. And we would usually, the last times we've gone, we'd usually go to California Adventure first and have our, okay, this is a big ticket ride that's going to have a crazy wait all day, like Radiator Springs Racers in Cars Land. So we'd get there an hour before opening at California Adventure. They let us in maybe 30, 20 minutes before. And then the different paths leading to different big rides, like one to Cars Land, one to Guardians of the Galaxy, would have cast members blocking it off. So we'd go get coffee, drink the coffee, and then when opening starts, you can just follow the cast members in the crowd to wherever they're leading you. We suggest getting in the line for something that's going to be insane all day right at the beginning. Like as soon as they let you in and you're walking very nicely with everyone else, go straight to that ride. Don't stop for anything or anyone. Get on the ride. Even if it's your first time there, do the big ride you want to do. You won't wait more than 20 minutes usually, depending on how far back you are in the crowd. And then when you're off of that, you can like slow down. And actually look at everything. Mm-hmm. Just do the, get that first ride done. Um, even though Guardians of the Galaxy is now open in California Adventure, I would still say go do Radiator Springs first. Because yes. that one has a lower capacity and it's notorious for going down multiple times throughout the day. So definitely do that one first. And it's kind of fun to do that one too because... At opening, when they do their little opening ceremony thing, Mater and Lightning McQueen will come lead you to Radiator Springs. So you get to follow. Yeah, you get to follow behind them, which is really cute. And especially if you have kids that are huge fans of cars, they would just be thrilled. Yeah. And a nice byproduct of that is if you don't have a kid or a kid that cares, them leading those two cars will go pull off into their meet and greet and a lot of people will mm-hmm. just follow them right over there because the kids and want to go going straight yeah because yeah. they're like they need to see lightning right now and you just yes. keep going to the back and go to radiator springs and you'll be great unless seeing lightning mcqueen is your big ticket must do mm-hmm. then just follow him over there so this actually leads into um one of our next trip tricks, I should say, <laughs> that I actually learned on my most recent trip because this is very new. I don't think you've even had the chance to use this, Chelsea, but I have not. Uh, Max Pass, which did go up in cost this year as anticipated because it was in beta all of last year. Um, it used to be $10 per person per day. Now it's $15 per person per day. Now that sounds like an annoying cost to add on to your ticket. And if you're a family, I can see where that might begin to get cost prohibitive. And I, um, before our most recent trip, I decided I was going to use it on the Saturday that we were there just to test it out and see, because that was the busiest day. And I ended up purchasing it for the other two days that we were there because I loved using it so much. So at Disneyland, there's a free service called Fast Pass, And it used to be that you could walk up to the rides and there were fast pass machines and you'd put your ticket in there and you'd get a fast pass to come back later. So you're basically virtually waiting in line. Now, they've put more regulations on fast pass as time has gone on. Disney World does not have paper fast passes anymore. They're all done through no, your, it's all on your magic, your magic band. band. So you scan your band and they get loaded on there. Disneyland is working toward that too. 
but you can still get fa- paper fast passes at most of the rides. Um, the Max Pass basically allows you to get fast passes via the Disneyland app without being at that ride. And you can do that for the park you're not in already. You can be in Disneyland and get fast passes at California Adventure and vice versa. And this saved us so much walking time back and forth. It was crazy because we got to California Adventure in the morning, got right in line for Radiator Springs Racers. And while I was in line for that, I got a fast pass for Guardians of the Galaxy for later that afternoon. And then we uh, switched parks and I got more fast passes while we were having lunch. Like, so instead of having to backtrack and get all these things, it was so incredibly worth it. And one of the days we were there got really busy and we still did everything we wanted to do multiple times. And it was because of that. So if you can swing the extra cost, do it. Even if it's just for the busiest day that you're there, do it because it, it was just a huge time saver and sanity saver, honestly. So we talked a little bit about food earlier, obviously, but some quick tips with that is make lunch your biggest meal of the day because most people will make dinner their biggest and so it's the restaurants are busier at that time so if you want to do like a sit down I think it's a really good idea to make your reservation for like that end of lunch window like 3 30 so that you can eat a big later lunch and not have to worry about doing a big dinner and in general just try to eat at off times eat when other people are out riding the rides and then ride the rides when other people are eating basically yeah don't try not to eat lunch at noon and dinner at six When it comes to just surviving like the rides and the lines in general, in addition to getting there an hour before opening, something that helps in a lot of situations is to remember to go to the left. So sometimes in queues for attractions, you'll be given a decision if you want to go right or left and you're all going to the same place, but sometimes they just split off into two lines. Go to the left because more often than not, people just naturally go to the right So if you choose to go to the left, you often get the shorter line. This is also true if you're there at opening and you don't have a particular ride you want to go to, go to the left (laughs) because most people will still go to the right. So I think it's because most people are right-handed. Probably. So that drives you to naturally go to the right. But if you're left-handed like me, you naturally want to go left. So I like to think I've waited slightly less your whole life for things in my life (laughs) you probably want to go left so when you really need a break during your time at disneyland and you will i mean obviously you can always go back to the hotel worst case scenario but in (laughs) addition to some of those hidden places that we mentioned which can be really um quiet laid back places to hang out even like the the petrified tree stump there's usually no one hanging out right there so you can kind of just take a break take a breather But in addition to that, Tom Sawyer's Island is a great spot to just go relax and kick back for a little bit. It is. You have to take a little raft to get there because it's in the middle of the river. Would you call that a river? Yeah, the 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 rivers of America. And there will be other people over there. There will be children. But there's so much less over there because, you know, it takes effort. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there's lots of places to sit and it's generally very quiet even though you'll look at it and be like oh that's just a playground spot essentially for children that'd be a cool playground though yeah i mean we (laughs) 
we play on it. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing that says you can't. It's not like scaled for small people. Yeah. Like other things. But it's just a good spot to have some quiet, which is definitely something you need on any Disney vacation, even if it's not busy, which it will be busy. It, it will. And like we said earlier, another one of our favorite ways to just take a break is to um, get your beignets and your mint julep and take a ride on the Mark Twain riverboat that goes around Tom yes. Square Island. There's not a ton of seating on that boat, but there's plenty of space to like spread out. And on busier days, one of the other benefits I learned is that sometimes Tiana's on the boat doing a meet and greet. So oh, lovely. if you wanted I to meet that. Tiana, that's a great place to meet her. Something we do pretty much every time we've been there. I've only stayed on property once at Paradise Pier. Yep, me too. And you were also there and our father paid for it. That's the only reason we <laughs> stayed there. Yes. <laughs> but normally we stay off property, which is not something I recommend at Disney World, but I definitely recognize, recommend it at Disneyland. There are a ton of good neighbor hotels, is what they're called. That means they have good standing essentially with Disney and they can sell Disney tickets there that surround Disneyland. Um, Some of them have little shuttles, but most of them are within walking distance, which makes a big difference when you leave, especially at the end of the night. Um, I know the Disney hotels on property, well, they're like, they're a little closer to get to, definitely. But the extra five minutes to walk to an off-property hotel is going to save you a ton of money. And really, the the only hotel that's going to get you into a park quicker is Grand Californian, the most expensive one. And it's only going to get you into California Adventure quicker. All three of the hotels, it is going to take you just as long to walk through downtown Disney and get to the front of the park as it would for a hotel across the street anyway. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're not anything fancy, but they're clean and... They have a nice place to sleep, and they're hundreds of dollars cheaper than staying on property, which Disney vacations are very expensive, and this is a great way to save some money. So a lot of them have free breakfast. And if you really didn't want to just stay in like a a cheaper hotel, I mean, there's plenty of things like there's a Hilton right there. There's some of the ones that that look like they might not be much are actually really nice, like um the desert inn and suites that we've stayed at several times Mm -hmm. and there's um a couple right there on the corner that i know are family suites too so plenty of options that are much cheaper than a disney hotel yeah and you're not gonna be spending much time there anyway no so something else that drives me nuts is shopping (laughs) at disney i i like doing it i always leave with stuff But in my opinion, the best way to do it is either on a free evening, especially the first night you get there at Downtown Disney, or pick out stuff during the day as you're going through the day, and then pick it all up on your way out. Even if you're there till closing, the stores will stay open later until everyone's gone because they want you to buy stuff. And then you can buy whatever it is. And you don't have to carry it all day. And I know they do, like, they'll send it to your hotel room if you're staying on property. And I don't know if they do it if you're staying at a good neighbor hotel. I don't think they do, but they they at least will send it to the front of the park. Right. Which is also a good thing. Like, if you buy something in the back, you can send it to the front and pick it up on your way out. But there's no reason that you need to carry 
extra stuff and bags all day with you. And if you do, you'll regret it. Another secret uh, I think are the best ones, and I insisted we talk about this, was best bathrooms. It's very important. Because some of them are awful. Yeah. And the caveat there is to say they're not awful because the cast sucks at cleaning them up or something like that. No, because Stonewall no. cast at any Disney park is top-notch. Amazing. Deserve more money. Yes. <laughs> and so this is not... Um, the bad bathrooms are not like them slacking off or their fault. It's literally just the ones that there's too many people. It's just hard to keep up with and it can just be a disaster. So to tell you the ones to avoid... Any bathroom in Fantasyland. Yeah. And the ones... <laughs> Any bathroom. And the ones at the Space Mountain exit. Yes. Danger zone. My favorite one that, that I think is the absolute best bathroom is you come into Disneyland. You come in and you go to the right. Okay, yes. And great moments with yeah, Mr. Lincoln gonna, is over there. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you're going to go down this little corridor to the right of that building. And it doesn't look like there's anything there. Like even when you're kind of zooming in on the map, it doesn't show it until you're like really super close. But there is a bathroom back there that I have never seen more than two other people at a time. Yes. So it's, it's always super clean, super private, pretty much. Yeah, there's a little symbol finally. Yeah, and the, the Disney gallery. That's the other thing that's in there. Yes. And my other favorite bathroom are the ones downstairs at the hungry bear restaurant which is next to splash mountain and those are like that's such a big restaurant too that i think a lot of people don't even realize they can like go downstairs yeah which is also a good place to sit and eat down there those are some great bathrooms and i made sure to pick one in california adventure as well my favorite ones in california adventure are the golden fine winery ones which, if you're coming from the entrance, it'll be on your right. And I think they're just a little bit behind Golden Vine. And those are just another one that are usually very quiet and not populated. Which seems like a silly thing when you're not there. But when you get there, there's so much value in a quiet bathroom. Yes, there really is. And I can imagine if you have kids, even more so. Um, that actually made me think there is a little secret hidden spot in California Adventure that I like, and it's the walkways around Grizzly River Run. Oh, yeah. It's another great place to take a break. Yes. Take a breather, nice atmosphere, not a lot of people. It's great. Especially if it's a cold time of year and no one's on Grizzly River Run, no one will be back there. So to wrap things up for this episode, I thought it would be fun to do some tips and tricks to become a galactic hero on Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters because that was was my home. Last time I was there, it was it was looking a little rough, which was sad because I think a lot of people think it's just kind of a silly ride. It's a silly thing to be in Tomorrowland, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's a shooting gallery on wheels. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a lot of fun and it's bright, it's colorful. People of all different skill levels can play it. And this one, I will stand by. Um, I've been on the one in Florida and the one in Tokyo now. Um, The one in Hong Kong closed. But there is one in Paris and Shanghai that I need to check off my list too. But out of the three, including one international one that I've been on, the one in California is the best one. And that is because 
the guns are not attached to the ride vehicle yes. dashboard. It sucks when they're attached. Yes. They have a cord that comes out so you can move your gun around. You can do a lot better. They're not attached to the front. So basically the whole plot line of this ride is that the little green men have been are in a, a struggle with Zerg and Buzz needs some new recruits to help him defeat Zerg, basically. I mean, it's a very nice, simple little plot line. And so you get in these little cruisers, which uh, look kind of like the ride vehicles from Haunted Mansion. Uh, the front thing that closes is obviously just a lot bigger because that's where your little guns and your scoreboard are. But in the area that you board, right next to the track is this big mural that has Buzz on one of the cruisers. And the really funny thing is that each version of the Buzz Lightyear attraction the cruisers have different numbers on them, like X32 or X34. And I probably have this backwards, but I think the ones in California are X34s, but the mural has a painting with it where it says like X32, and those are the ones in Tokyo. Oh. So (laughs) there was some little mistake there. But as you come up to get to the boarding area, right before you turn right to get onto the, the loading belt... There is a little sign on the left-hand wall, which is the biggest secret you need for that ride because it has the four different shapes of targets, and they are in order of point priority. So (laughs) if you just need help in knowing which ones are like the biggest scoring targets, that little chart gives it away. It doesn't say that. It just has a nice little picture of the different shapes, which are um, circle, square, diamond, and triangle. And it has them in the order of the points they're worth. So that's really the main thing you need to know. But the order, that specific order, I guess I could share too, is circle is the lowest, then square, then diamond, and triangle is the uh, biggest points. Um, as you go into the ride, so, and I don't know if this is still the case. It was the case when I worked there. So it could be different. I don't know. Uh, just saying if you get a weird look, by saying this, it's not my fault. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the cast member that's at the console right before, once you're in your little cruiser, you're going along, but you haven't gone all the way in, you'll pass a cast member at the main console. When I worked there, targets, after they had been hit a certain amount of time, a certain amount of times, stopped giving points until they reset. And they would do that every so often. But there was a button on the main console that said, it either said on unlock or reset targets. And you could hit that and it would reset all the targets in there anyway to start over. So some people who are real serious about this ride, when they would come by me and I'm sitting there with my little console, would ask if I would unlock the targets because someone had told them mm-hmm. to do that. Sometimes I would just do it every, you know, 10 minutes or whatever that I was up there. I would just do it anyway, just because I liked thinking I was helping people with their scores. So you can give that a shot. And ask if they'll unlock the targets. They might look at you funny. <laughs> but yeah. it used to be a thing. It used to be a thing. Um, because otherwise you might shoot at targets and actually not get points from them. So when you go into the ride itself, in addition to triangles being worth the most, the things to keep in mind is that triangles that are, are all shapes, all targets that are lit up are worth more points when they're lit up. Um, so try to aim at those. You will pass Zerg two separate times in the ride. Both times he has a small hole on his chest 
that you can shoot to get, I believe it's 100,000 points. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is a heck of a lot easier to hit than the second one. Because the second one, he's up in the sky. Yeah, he's right. He's a lot smaller. Yeah. Um, don't forget to turn your cruiser around to see some of the targets that you might be missing behind you. There's a couple places that I call the jack-in-the-boxes. And they are, um, they'll look literally like a little cartoon box. And they'll have probably a small target, either a square or a circle on the front. But if you hit them, something will pop out of them that's holding a lit-up diamond or triangle. The best one is in the second-to-last room with the second Zerg. On the left wall, there's a box. If you hit it, a little green man will pop up with a triangle that's lit up. And that's a great way to get a lot of points. Another thing to look out for is when you're in the hyperspeed tunnel, which is this tunnel that looks like, well, looks like you're in hyperspeed. There's (laughs) lots of lights going, (laughs) and it's right before you come into the last room. If you look up on the ceiling, you'll see little triangle and diamond targets that are lighting up um, that you can hit while you're in there too. One reason that the California version is better is because once you get to 999,000 points, your thing will lock up and it won't show you more points than that. But when you go down and look at your picture at the end, you can see what your actual point total was. So um, you can't do that in Florida, which is nice. It's a nice benefit in California to see what your actual score was. Yes. Yeah. So next time you're there, those are some tips for reaching the top level of being a galactic hero. Yes. And you can also ask for an I'm celebrating button and say you're a galactic hero. Yes. And a cast member will very gladly (laughs) make that for you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think that's everything we had for this episode. I know we covered a lot of Disneyland ground today. Yes, and we'll probably talk about Disneyland again in the future because it's always changing. And I need to go again. Yes, me too. I'm due. We have a lot of ideas for podcasts coming up this year that we're really excited about. There's lots of TV shows and movies and games and uh, so much stuff that I can't even remember it all happening in 2019. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye, nerds. Bye, nerds. Our intro and outro music is courtesy of Sneaky Creepy on Yummy Sounds. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NerdAscended. You can also email us at nerdascendedpodcast at gmail.com. And ratings are always appreciated.